Welcome back. Welcome back to the bridge with Mark Daniels and Mike Bianchi as we bridge our show, open mic into Mark's show, the beat of sports. Musical theme this week is what TV theme songs that charted? Correct, and you've been asking for this one, Mikey. But those dreams have remained and they've turned around. That's right, the theme of Friday the 13th movie. Welcome back, welcome back. Little John Sebastian, Sebastian, formerly of Lovin' Spoonful. Daniels, you a big Lovin' Spoonful guy? I do like uh, some Lovin' Spoonful, yeah. Love me some Lovin' Spoonful as well. Especially that song, uh, Summer in the City. Hot down, Summer in the City. Back of my neck. What's the um, what's the interesting uh, uh, historical note about John Sebastian that most people know? He looks he looked like John Lennon back that, in the day. That is one, but uh, went to Woodstock and was there as a fan and was asked to perform. Really? Yeah, remember the stories of Woodstock? Uh, obviously, the festival itself, but then the <laughs> rain and delays and so forth and. Um, People knew that, hey, this guy, you know, he sings, and they were looking for people to help kill time as they're trying to get through the rain and, and, and the stage and everything. And uh, Sebastian got up on stage and performed at Woodstock. They were waiting for, like, Jimi Hendrix or something, and then <laughs> here comes John Sebastian. He tells a story, though, that, um, uh, you know, he, he wasn't anticipating to be up on a stage, and when he got up there, it was high as a kite. So I, I don't As remember. was everybody at Woodstock. <laughs> right, but his point was, I wasn't prepared to get up on stage and perform because I took everything available. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazingly, Daniels, we didn't have any Ask Mark questions today, but, but it is a free-for-all Friday, and we sort of got behind on our questions on our text line because we had John Brantley on in our interview with him went over so we didn't get to some of these questions can i ask you some of these questions let's go all right let's use this next couple of minutes actually here's an ask mark question uh from free for all friday Uh, a mark daniels question about the university of miami i'm curious about what their media uh value and expansion value is compared to other programs in the acc seems like they are an afterthought in Miami and in Dade sports. What's Miami? Yeah, why does nobody ever mention Miami jumping to the you know SEC or the Big Ten? It's always FSU or North Carolina or Clemson. Yeah, I mean, the, the last part about Dade sports, you mean like the relevant of Miami in South Florida? Yeah, yeah they're saying Miami is not even relevant oh. in their own city, I think is what they're saying. Um, look, Miami's a... Uh, like a lot of towns, it's a front-running town that if the team's doing well, then the fan base will wrap your arms, uh, wrap their arms around it. Last year's Miami basketball made its run with FAU. It was unbelievable how many new college basketball fans emerged in South Florida uh, that simply disappeared this year. Jim Laranaga's team is <laughs> not playing well. Um, I would say that Miami is quietly watching everything in the ACC with great interest. Um Florida State's been the most vocal. Uh, it is very interesting to watch what's happening in the state of North Carolina. Uh, 
where Carolina is not saying much, but there seems to be a lot of political maneuvering about what might happen there. Clemson has been brought up more by the media. I think they're quietly watching. Uh, but Miami is uh, um, you know, certainly aware. And if there was a chance to get out of the grant of rights, Miami would probably believe that they're an attractive candidate to one of the two leagues. Um, and they may be. It just depends on if that moment happens. But when somebody says, what's the value of Miami? Mike, that answer is the same exact answer that I would give for Florida State that you and I talked about a couple of times. And a Seminole fan right now may pound their chest and say that's ridiculous, and their AD may throw out uh, fancy colored graphics about how big their TV ratings are. Their TV ratings are big because of the way they play the last couple of years. I gave you numbers a few weeks ago of Florida State's record, in, I mean, uh, TV numbers in Mike Novell's first year. Most of the games were on the ACC network because they weren't relevant in the ACC. If Miami was relevant in the top 10 landscape of college football, then they have a history like Florida State to build back on to say, look at the value of our brand. But when you're going 6-6, six and six, it's hard to go, hey, don't forget about us over here. Um, right. So you're as relevant as the moment when relevancy matters. Um and Florida State, and I'm not criticizing this, is taking advantage of a moment that their brand is reignited with interest. The same thing applies to Miami. If they're you know, able to get it going again, then you're relevant. And to prove to you why that matters, it's the only reason you see it from the Big 12. Good point. Good point. Here's one. This question is for me, but I'm going to hand it over to you because I haven't been to a spring training game in years. Um, Bulldog. I like to go to spring training baseball once a year here in Florida. What's the best venue that's not too far from Orlando? Well, the sad answer to that is is that there's nothing close to Orlando. <laughs> um, if you go to Lakeland, there's a lot of history still there. Uh, they've done some work on that ballpark to fix it up. It is not anything like the new uh, modern facilities. It's more historic over um, in Lakeland, if you go uh, to watch a game there, if you're looking for more of the modern facilities, you've got to really travel, uh, not travel by plane, but you got to drive uh, to get to some places that have some really nice uh, facilities. If you head over, you know, uh, I mean, same deal with the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees in Tampa, the stadium's great, uh, but the Yankee facility is not among the most modern facilities because I've been there a while now. But for a short drive, Go find a, a Saturday or Sunday that you can drive over uh, to watch um, either in Lakeland, Bradenton for the Pirates, or go over and see the Yankees in Tampa, or go take a look at some of the teams in that Bay Area. If you want to make a nice weekend out of it, uh, there's still some great places to go. All right, last one. Um, this is what they're talking about on the national shows, and I shudder to ask it. But let's talk a little national sports here, Daniel. Do you think the Bears... Sign Jack or not? Mike, what do you think? Oh. Do you think the Bears should trade Justin Fields? I think they are about to do one of the stupidest things in sports because why take a risk on a guy who hasn't taken an NFL snap when you already have a guy who has proved he can play the game at a high level and you could trade the number one pick and get another player like D.J. Moore. Has Justin Fields proved he can consistently play the game at a high level? Up next, Dan Orlovsky breaks it down in five segments. Um, <laughs> here's a, uh, uh, here's my read about the Bears situation. If you wanted to justify 
keeping Justin Fields and using those two high draft picks to help him, you could easily come up with reasons to do that. You can talk about, look, give this guy a chance. He's had rotating uh, coordinators. He's had coaches that have changed. Um, Give him a chance. Go get him a, a weapon at wide receiver. Give him another offensive lineman and give him a chance to go play. And you could soundly make that argument. The other part of it is you could easily argue why, when you peel back some of the numbers, he wasn't as effective as some highlights made you believe. He didn't throw a ton of touchdown passes the second half of the season. He was not very efficient. I think his completion percentage the last half of the year was at like 59.2%, which in the NFL these days is not in the elite category. And then if you're the Bears and you're realistic saying, okay, are we ready to compete now? If the answer is no, and you think it's more in the line of a couple years, then you get the rookie quarterback that you can live off that contract to surround that player, as we learned how some teams have done it with that rookie quarterback contract. Um, if you believe that any one of these three quarterbacks at the top can do the job and develop into something, that's why the Bears may look at doing that. Plus, you get something you think, whatever it is, out of value – Four fields if you trade him. Yeah, I, I just don't know how much value there is for Justin Fields. I'd keep Bob Avellini, Mike, if I were the Bears. Bob Avellini. I, I'd go with Jack Cuncannon. Okay? I think you so, and I and two other people in our older audience know those names. So. The only reason I remember Jack Cuncannon, I think he was the quarterback uh, when Brian Piccolo was there. He was in Brian's <laughs> song, I think. There you Jack go. Jack Cuncannon. Yeah. All right, straight ahead, a lot to talk about. We have NBA to talk about. We have college football to talk about. We have college basketball to talk about. All that coming your way on open mic. But first, I want to tell you about a place that's near and dear to my heart. I'm talking about the Aspire Rejuvenation Clinic. I've told you guys what they've done for me within the last year and a half. Um, they've given me energy. They've given me strength. They've given me my sex drive back. Once you get into your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you start to lose all of that. You do. And you know what you start to gain? You start to gain belly fat. Well, that's what was happening to me about a year and a half ago. I heard about testosterone replacement therapy, and I heard the Aspire Rejuvenation Clinic does it better than anybody. I signed up, started having the therapy. About two weeks later, boom, I was feeling amazing. I still feel amazing. I look better. I feel better, um, and you can do the same thing. If you think you're, you might have low testosterone, check these guys out. You can find them at the Aspire Rejuvenation Clinic, AspireRejuvenation.com. That's AspireRejuvenation.com if you want to feel like a younger version of yourself. right here welcome back to the bridge with mark daniels mike bianchi mark daniels he's good people that was my attempt at donald trump i can't do it like KB. mark daniels he's good people kb that's your trump mike i like it yeah by the way mike can i give a uh, shout out this morning Yes, you can. Uh, somebody uh, uh, sent me a tweet to, to the West Orange Boys soccer team. Mike, they're playing for the state championship in the 7A classification against Boca tomorrow night over in DeLand. So 
Shout out to West Orange uh, Boys Soccer. Got to get a win tomorrow nice. in the state championship. Did you ever get the email I sent you? Yes, from Yesterday. the listener talking about uh, their Uber, uh, 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 the Uber driver listening to the station and talking about Scott Harris' final show. Yeah. Doesn't that make you feel good that people, uh, that, that we have well, listeners out there, it's that really look forward to hearing us? Dude. Well, look, Do you I believe love, it. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sending that email. Um, you know, we get plenty of negative uh, uh, feedback because it's easier for people to be angry and scream about something and the many people that enjoy doing what we do and we make them laugh, we make them think, we make them uh, sad sometimes because of uh, sharing life stories. Um, those people are not likely going to take the time to send a positive message. So when people like that do, I greatly appreciate it. I love the story. And um, there are thousands of people out there that listen to all of our shows, uh, you, Kravitz, myself, Colin, um, in a variety of ways. The great thing about technology today is that you don't have to necessarily listen live. Many people get up and have a routine in the morning to listen to you. Mike, I'm in that group. I you know my routine every day. Hardworking people out there um, uh, doing their thing sometimes get to listen to your show later in the day. Um, you know, my show, like the busiest time the day that people listen to my show outside of if your live is three o'clock in the afternoon, why would they download the podcast and listen then? So I uh, love hearing stories like that and um, appreciate all those listeners that go out of their way to send positive messages. Daniels, what do you think about my, my bulldog bite this morning about Orlando city playing inner Miami this weekend? Time is nagging. Uh, you it's know, already... it, 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 <laughs> I asked this question, no, uh, Every great every great sport and to some degree every great industry and certainly in in, in entertainment needs a good villain. And Inter Miami is a villain in some ways. I mean the league loves the fact that Messi's here and everything that comes with it, but I do think there's a number of people that wouldn't mind seeing this team fail. <laughs> so I think every time they play there's a group that, yeah, they love watching Messi, but you're kind of like, yeah, I'd like to see this team fall on their face. So Yeah, and I, and I can think of a couple of people. I can think of Louis Muzi, the <laughs> Orlando City uh, president of soccer operations. He was on it. Remember last year when Messi signed, he came on our show? KV, remember he was, like, talking trash about Messi. Oh, yeah, he was in it. He was in it to win it, baby. Yeah, yeah, I guess I think he spoke for a lot of passionate people that are like, okay, I, I, I get it. He's value. He's going to make money for the league. And at the time, I think a lot of teams are trying to figure out what is MLS going to do to make sure that they're salary compliant. Um, and some probably still wonder about that. I'm not saying Lewis feels that way today. But you know, but back to your point, um, I think it's the, the timing is it, it's early in the season. The Tigres match is a really big one coming up next week because of who the opponent is, their popularity. It's a huge week for Orlando City soccer, um, but I, I agree. This is one that you'd really like to have early in the MLS season. Especially, Daniels, this, not all Orlandoans have Apple TV. This is going to be on Fox. It's going to be on national television. This is going to be... Probably the first chance a lot of people get to see Orlando City this year. And 
I think they need to be impressive. If you don't have Apple, what are the last times as well? (laughs) Because there's not many matches on. Right. All right, we got to step aside with the audience in Tallahassee. You can always keep listening to Mike and I on the bridge. Find the iHeart app, search 96.9. The game, the bridge continues after station ID. My other uh, bulldog bite this morning was about Caitlin Clark announcing yesterday she's going to uh, go to the WNBA next season, even though she could come back for an extra, the extra COVID year of college that all college athletes got, but she's going to be in the WNBA next year. I said that the WNBA ratings would double next year with Caitlin Clark. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a good chance that the average audience currently that the WNBA draws when she plays is going to be significantly higher. My guess is, and I think it's a smart move with the WNBA and their media partner, which among includes Disney with ESPN and ABC, is that you're going to see a number of Indiana Fever games on ABC on weekends. Um, Right. The timing works for the schedule for the WNBA, which is more summer. Um, and I think you'll see some of those Saturday, Sunday afternoon games that'll draw big audiences. I think some WNBA games that, uh, you know, were normally in ESPN two that she's in is going to shift to ESPN. So yeah, I think you're going to see significant increase in games that, um, she's playing in and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, good for her, good for the WNBA, um, and I think they'll see the benefit of that. Now, does that expose you to the game that makes you want to watch more? That's up to each individual person. The um, I still wonder if she couldn't make more more nil money coming back to college. Well, a couple of things to consider because I brought that up also about you know she's got a pretty good situation. But she takes no money from the Iowa Collective. It was her decision to say, look, I'm going to be fine. Whatever money you want to get for women's basketball, there's other players that uh, can use that. There's no reason to think that any existing national sponsor of Caitlin Clark is going anywhere. If not, she's going to get a lot more because as much attention that Iowa basketball has gotten, she's going to get more eyeballs than the WNBA because of the national TV windows that exist there. Um, And likely it's going to have a significant number of new sponsors that will come uh, aboard. The salary structure... A, I'm sorry, good. But what about in... Like, I'm not talking about national sponsor, and I, and I don't know what NIL deals she has, but I'm sure she's got NIL deals with companies in the state of Iowa. Are they still going to... I, I guess they would still stick by her, right? I, I mean, she has a few. The majority of Caitlin Clark's deals are national deals. I'm sure she has okay, a few of their okay. local deals, and whether she continues to do uh, a business with them or not. But her her price will go. Look, whatever the number is, and some people to report her anywhere between two to three plus million dollars is what she's been making with her deals. And Caitlin Clark and Caleb Williams are the real examples of true NIL, where they have national deals and are representing companies and endorsing their products and appearing in commercials. It's not just pay for play. I mean, the reports were that Caleb Williams probably made around $10 million um, at USC uh, the last couple of years. She's going to benefit from it. The salary structure of the WNBA, um, it's it's a sign of where their league still is at and needs to grow. She'll make the max next year, $74,000. Is the minimum, two fifty is the high end of that. She'll make significantly more um, from endorsement deals and... 
And yet the WNBA, kind of like the MLS with Messi, you need more players like this so it brings more eyeballs so that it can bring in more revenue. And we just talked about Messi and how, yeah, Messi's good for MLS, but there are a lot of people in MLS that want to see him fail. I'll guarantee you there are some WNBA players who are going to be out to prove that they're better than Caitlin Clark next year. She's going to get everybody's best in the pros, Daniels. Well, there's several things in play here. Um, you're right from a competitive standpoint, and there's also yeah. jealousy of attention. Like, hey, right. long before she got here, we've been playing in this league for um, a number of years, and, and that just comes with the territory. Um, I think players also realize that she is good for the league because of the new eyeballs that she's going uh, to bring. And I've read people that have covered uh, the women's game over the years that say, look, she is a great story and a great player. But some will say she's not the most skilled player to ever come to the WNBA. There are, are, are plenty of players that have come before her that were as decorated and maybe better in an all-around game. But she is probably the biggest hyped player that does have a resume to back it up to come to the WNBA ever. Hmm. Interesting. Daniels, I haven't talked about this story because I was saving it for you. I wanted to get to this. Um, Wrestling is real. No, because this is right up your alley because you have your sources within ESPN. What does ESPN think of Pat McAfee? I mean, he, he, he... He's been ripping this ESPN executive, Norby Williamson. I guess he went on another podcast earlier this week, uh, and uh, he went on with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, and he's taking more shots at ESPN management, taking more shots at Norby Williamson. There's a part of me that loves the fact that that, that Pat McAfee doesn't give a damn what, what his bosses think. Um, and he's just saying what he says. He's being honest. But there's another part of me like, what is this guy doing this for? What does he have to gain from this? Well, I don't know uh, Pat personally. I mean, I know people that uh, work indirectly uh, with Pat inside the walls of that building. Um, but I think a couple things here. Um, life at times is about leverage. And I think what Pat mm-hmm. McAfee was saying on All That Smoke, the podcast, uh, you know, with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes was, look, I answer to two people, and I don't even view them as my bosses because we got a lease deal where they liked what I did and came and said, look, we want to be part of what your brand is, and I said, okay, and there's some things that I want, and that's ESPN president Jimmy Pitaro, and that's CEO Bob Iger of Disney, and I think Pat feels like I don't answer to anybody else, and I don't answer to anyone. I mean, I, I, I have an obligation to provide content based on the deal that we have. And I think Pat, like anybody, has feelings and emotions. And when people come after him, he's going to defend himself. And I think he feels like he's built a position where he can defend himself against anybody. He's built an unbelievable brand um, that if tomorrow ESPN decided they didn't want to be in business with him, he would have no problem finding other partners to um, work with and, and be successful. And, um, he is one of those individuals right now that's riding a, a pretty big wave and uh, is very good at, at at his business model. Whether you like his style or not, he has he has taken the opportunity and run with it. And I think he's opened up the doors for other individuals like the two people he sat down with 
to do that podcast. A number of former athletes that see this platform now as a way to expose their brand, market their brand, and make a lot of money. I'm curious. I was reading a story about this, and he was talking about uh, Pat McAfee. was talking about when he first got the ESPN. I It says in this story, when he arrived at ESPN, uh, the network briefly banned his friends who worked for the company to appear on, on his show. What does that mean? I, I, I think I what he was under- telling was Norby Williamson did that, um, that... Norby like, was, like ban what friends? Like, that that originally the ESPN personalities were not supposed to go on Pat's show. So now you know he has uh, uh, everybody on from Adam Schefter and and you know all the NFL people, college people. Originally the the the, the deal was don't go on there. Why that, would they do that? Well, take the they part out. Pat will tell you that it was that one person that didn't want Pat McAfee there. That, Why does Norby Norby is it Norby Williamson? Mm-hmm. Why does he not? Why would he not like Pat McAfee? If Pat McAfee's you know this popular brand and is good for the network, and the network's paying him all this money, why would this guy not lo- like Pat McAfee? You'd think he would want that to succeed. There's probably about a hundred former ESPN personalities that are better equipped to answer that question than me. Meaning, they'll tell you their challenges with that individual who believed and believes that he knows the perfect model for success on that network where he's worked at for better than a quarter century. And if you don't fit that model that he believes is the way to do programming, then he will let you know and let others know about it. And Pat believes that that individual has had it in for him and has gone out of his way to make Pat's, I wouldn't say life miserable, but challenging to work at ESPN. My guess is, and a few sources, is that Jimmy Pataro stepped in and said, peace, go to your corner, and we need to find a way uh, to work uh, together. But there's no shortage of people from Dan Levitard and Jamel Hill and Bamani Jones and others that once worked at ESPN that will freely talk to you about their challenges with that ESPN executive as well. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, I knew you would know the inside on this. Yeah, and, Daniels. And, I mean, one last thing about Pat again, like him or not, I, I don't know how his body physically holds up with the schedule that he has. I, I, I don't know because he between, is a hardworking guy, Mike. He's not just doing everything with WWE. The dude was in the ring for some of their big pay per view events. I know. I saw. Yeah, and, and it's flying everywhere. You bring in college football season and, and stuff like that. So again, I. I do not know how he stays awake. Um, I, I'm still jet lagging from doing a game. And Daniels, still I don't know how ago. you stay. Well, I don't know how you stay awake. I let mean, alone Pat. Yeah, I, I'm still jet lagged from a couple of days ago in Stillwater and got a busy weekend, and I wouldn't uh, change it for anything. But that dude's schedule, I, I don't know how he does it. It, it, it. It's insane. Yeah. Okay, I want to use this next little little snippet to to tell my. Tommy Tuberville story, which I haven't told in a long time. All right. So uh, Tommy Tuberville went on somebody's. He was interviewed by somebody and they asked him about court storming. And he said, hey, I, I don't really know how you can stop it when you have, you know, college kids that want to come on the floor. But but that's not why. Every time I read a Tommy Tuberville story now, obviously, he's a politician now in Alabama. Uh, loose word um, there. I'm not quite sure. He's politician. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's a he's a well-known politician obviously a former football coach have i ever told you my tommy tuberville story i don't believe you have okay so this was 
I don't even remember the year that it was. It was it was it was one of the years O'Leary was struggling at UCF. All right. Um so O'Leary is struggling. I, I think Tribble was the A D at the time, and you know, there were the rumors that Tribble wanted to run O'Leary off. Um probably weren't just rumors. I'm sure they're probably pretty true. So anyway. I mean, when he tried to hire this. Charlie Strong behind O'Leary's back and the administration's yeah. back, that part? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I get this call out of the blue. And I, I don't remember if Tommy Tuberville was between Oh, I jobs. remember the story now, but the, the audience may not. So go ahead. I remember the story. Yeah, yeah I don't remember if Tuberville was between jobs or maybe he was at a job uh, you know, he, and he wanted to move or whatever. But I, I'd have to go back and look. But I get this call out of the blue and it's like, hello? Hey, hey, is this Mike Bianchi? And I don't even remember how he talked. Is this Mike Bianchi? Yeah, this is Mike. Uh, Coach Tommy Tuberville. Yeah. I go, hey, Coach, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know? He goes, uh, he goes listen, what's going on with that, with that UCF job down there? I go, well, you know, oh, you know. Talk is O'Leary's, you know, uh, on the hot seat, you know, a, you know, AD and him don't really get along, but he goes, he goes, listen, you, you, you didn't get this from me, but if you want to float my name out there for that job, if you want to float my name out there, you go ahead and float my name out there. So you know what I did, Daniel? He floated his name out there. I floated his name out there. Yeah. 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 And then you know what he did? He went back to his dinner with the Texas Tech recruits and said, I got to step out a second. He took the Cincinnati Jones. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where he was. I don't remember where he was at the time. Anyway. Yeah. That's my time at Tubman. All right, we come yeah, back. He talks. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. When we come back, they're at it again. One day later, the next uh, uh, college football playoff uh, rumor about the format. I'm going to get your thoughts about that next. Some. The Bridge, Mike Bianchi, Mark Daniels, this uh, Friday. So, uh, Bulldog. Yes. Have you followed the latest of the so-called rumors of the college football playoff format in her The battle? last I saw was, yeah, every, you know, they're all fired up about the 14-team playoff, and that's going to happen, and that was leaked out a couple days ago. I didn't see what happened yesterday. Well, okay, so, so we 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 didn't even really want to live with 12, which we're going to have to for a couple of years. We just want to go right to 14. Right. And then it was, um, you know, that the SEC and Big Ten wanted uh, to have three spots each, two for the ACC and the Big 12, one for a G5, one for Notre Dame if they're in the top 14, and and the others at large, and as I pointed out yesterday, I, one from an ego and a leverage. I don't even know why the SEC would agree to that. Uh, every year, an SEC fan would argue that their sixth place team is better than the third place team in the Big Ten, right? So, so right. they would. So why would we agree with that? Um, and then I pointed out some of these flaws yesterday. Why are we going to keep conference championship games? Imagine somebody uh, you know now has to play in a conference championship game loses. 
Are they going to get bumped out because the team behind them didn't play in the conference championship game? Um, so, so there's all sorts of flaws. And, and I admit there's not a perfect system. But then the nugget yesterday, which, by the way, and, and I want to give credit, Ross Dellinger, Yahoo Sports, reported first. And then, Mike, you know what happened 10 minutes later after Ross reported. Everybody got confirmation from their source. Also confirmed Ross's report. Sure you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That among the discussions not agreed to, is that the SEC and Big Ten want to guarantee that they each get the two buys in the 14-team playoff. What? They want the buys. In a 14-team playoff, we'd have two teams that get a buy. Everybody else plays in the first round. And as Ross reported... You can't guarantee that. I'm sorry. Well, as I tweeted, how about a triple buy? And they just get to go to the championship. Everybody else plays. Yeah, you and, can't yeah. guarantee who gets the buy. Right. That, that's insane. But but so are some of the many battles that are going on. And as I pointed out yesterday, and, and I admit it, I'm addicted, you're addicted to the sport. I will watch. If there are 13 playoff games, I will watch all 13 playoff games. Um but as I was pointing some of the flaws out yesterday, by the way, do you know when this, uh, uh, the semifinals for the 2024 season, you know what days of the week they are? Aren't they like in the, like the middle of the week? It's or a something? Thursday and Friday, which is so convenient for traveling fans, right? The week after, <laughs> right. the week after New Year's, um, imagine you're playing that Thursday game and your fan base is like, really? Uh, why? Because the NFL double birded them and said, we're not giving up Saturday. I, mean, I do wonder what the attendance is going to be like at some of these games. Right. Uh, again, let's say uh, let's say Florida State is another great year. It's not that they're great fan base when travel, but you you're going to think hard about how many times how you want to go. How many times are you going to exactly? Travel. Exactly. Okay. Um, the, you know, th- then the fight is revenue distribution, where uh, the SEC and Big Ten may want. 25 to 30 percent each of the 1.3 billion dollar pot and that the acc and big 12 could take between 15 and 20 percent uh and then leaving eight percent for the g5 so then you break down of uh, the dollars and uh uh you know what it boils down to but here's the thing that i was lamenting about yesterday and and i met old guy front porch aren't these the people that are supposed to look out for the best interests of the game you know that line is often used, Mike, you know, the commission of baseball was, hey, I don't represent owners or players. I represent the best interests of baseball. Well, then Peter Ubroth said, hey, I represent the owners, and since then it's changed. But is there anybody, is there anybody in that room that, that, that has paused and said, hey, what are we doing? What, 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 what is good for the game, and is this all good for the game? And do they get laughed at? Like, no, i got to get the most money. Screw you. Get off the stage. Like, there's no one there going, uh, are we looking at what we're doing here? You, you guaranteed spots, and you get a buy, and you want this. And, 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 and there's plenty of people that will scream, hey, it's about the money, it's about leverage. Who draws the biggest eyeball? Screw everybody else. Okay. And that's what we're getting. Yeah, and that's, and that's why, you know, for a zillion years, you know, people have been, hey, the college football needs a commissioner, college football. But yeah, that's because it is. It is everybody for them. But a commissioner, Mike, would you agree that if tomorrow you could install a commissioner, don't you agree you wouldn't get support of the people that matter? Greg Sankey's not going to answer to anybody. 
I mean, you come up with the best name to go, hey, this guy, like if Nick Saban said, I'll take the job, okay, why would everybody just listen to him? They're going to look out what's in the best interest. And they'll say, well, you're not going to stop me from expanding if I want to expand. And if I'm the Big Ten and Florida State got available, you know, I would take them. And yesterday, I I got into a It's why the NCAA, Daniels, that's why the NCAA wants out of the football business. Yeah, but they want I, out. I'm telling you, I, I got to guess. They want out. They don't. They don't want to deal with all of these egos and everybody out for themselves. Right, the but, NCAA. They want to wash their hands of, of college football. Right, but the group that runs it now, the college football playoff management, is it, made up of the ads and the presidents representing these conferences. Like I had a, 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 a nice, healthy argument yesterday with a fan who said, "Look, Mark, deal with it." Even if UCF gets left out, eventually the SEC and the Big Ten are going to break away, have their own playoff, and you'll all be left out. And I said, where did you go to school? And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, where did you go to school? He goes, Kentucky. I go, and what if they decide you're not part of the party? Right. He's like, what? I go, what if the powers of the SEC and the Big Ten say, we're going to take the 20 best brands and you're left out? He goes, you think they leave out Kentucky basketball? I said, who said anything about basketball? Right. He goes, well... You know, we average sixty plus thousand. And what if your own Kentucky, conference members Kentucky go? Kentucky would right, get left out, right? Uh, he goes, "Well, I don't think that would happen." I go, "Oh, so you get to decide how the break off goes? Don't think everybody standing on your side thinks you're valuable, okay? And is that what you want? You want that model? Like I'm listening to Colin yesterday, and I love Colin because these days I disagree more with him, but he makes me think, and. That's okay. Like, Colin's like, I don't care about all these bowl games. I don't care about these other schools. Give me the best brands. Let them play all the time. You want the NFL model? That's not what college football has been for decades. It has been about rivalries. It has been about the campus environment. It has been about those things. And we're changing this so fast that you want to rush to the NFL model? Why? That's what's great about the NFL. It's different. I I agree. I agree. I mean, there's... I like the playoffs. I, I do like the playoffs. I like that model, but I like the fact that there are different teams from different areas of the country, and they each have their own separate little rivalries. And I, I like the fact that college football is more of a regional sport than the National Football League. I like that. I like it, too. And um, I, 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 I can't stop change, and change is happening. It's just I, I have no idea who who's out there looking supposedly for the best interest Nobody. of uh, the game. And, yes, look, I don't argue. If there's a model where the Big 12 is going to be guaranteed two spots in the playoff, does it help a school like you said? Sure it does. Sure it does. There's no question about that. But, Mike, wait till the first year. Wait till the first year, that 2026 season, okay? Mm-hmm. Wait till somebody ranked 12th in the college football playoff committee's final rankings, okay, gets left out while the 23rd-ranked ACC team gets in because they got a second spot. Yeah. Right? You know that's going to happen, So, so, it's like you wonder sometimes how those discussions go about. And and, and then you go, well, let's change the rule again. Uh, Okay, Uh, you know, let's change the rule again. I, I don't get it. The rumors that are floating out there, real quick before I go, the rumors that are floating out there, so uh, SEC 3, Big Ten 3, ACC 2, Big 12 2? 
Yeah, that's one of the models that was discussed at great length. And uh, if Notre Dame finished in the top 14, they'd be guaranteed a spot, one for the G5, and then the other would, you know, would be at large. So there'd be, so there'd end up being, all right, so AC, so three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Notre Dame's 11. So there'd be G5, 12. So there'd only be two at largest in the 14 team playoff? Possibly three if Notre Dame was in the top 14, but yes. Yeah. Doesn't seem like enough. This past year, the AC, and again, it's a little bit unfair to use this past year because the Big Twelve, I mean, the Pac Twelve existed, but the ACC had one team inside the top of uh, fifteen this year. Louisville was outside the top fifteen, so they would get a spot. And then, and then he said, "Well, then why am I playing uh, these conference championship games? What happens if you're the fourth place team in the Big Ten or third place team in the Big Ten, and?" You're the you know second why they're pl- playing the conference championship games. One more inventory game, inventory game for ESPN, and more money for the league. Which is why I think you're going to get TB pressure to, to to say if you want to get rid of the conference championship game, then you need to add a conference game to everybody's schedule because I need more yeah. inventory. Yeah, um, but absolutely. but I, I, I could see the argument for why am I playing this conference championship game? Now the SEC will say because it's worth tens and tens of millions of dollars, and the argument's going to be. Are you guaranteeing the loser? Because here, I'll give you one more scenario before you go. You say, well, any given year, the loser of the SEC championship game would make the playoffs in, in the current model you're talking about. Wait till somebody gets blown out in the game. You know, yeah. Let's say Georgia, just using an example, uh, Georgia ends up playing LSU. LSU was part of a four-way tie for second place. They won the tiebreaker and lost by five touchdowns. Or go back to when McIlwain was at Florida and they went and played Alabama in the SEC championship game twice and got right. their asses kicked. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and then you'll have the same passion like they belong. You're like, no, well. And then a team that didn't right. play, a team that sat on the outside that didn't play, you want them to get in? Okay. Mm, excellent point, Daniels. Peace, love, boil peanuts. Have a great show and a great weekend. You too, Mikey. A Friday edition of the Beat of Sports is next.